Lazy Gardener Podcast. Yes, it's the Lazy Gardener Podcast with Rob Foster and myself, Watco, and we are talking May time, my favourite month of the year, because that's uh, when my birthday is. Um. Uh, yes, that's my birthday, and on in May. Oh, there you go. There we're, you we're May babies. I'm a Gemini. Me too. Yeah, excellent. Well, I think we've, I think we've had this conversation before. Um, I'm the 24th, and you are... 23rd. We're so close to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Right, OK, so um, we're, we're Geminis, we're like peas in the pod, there's two different sides to us and all that kind of business. Uh, is there two different sides to May? There is actually two sides to me you've got to be very careful because it's a very dicky time of the year for planting things out because of the frost had the frost finished had they not and you can never tell and i should mention it to get probably mention it again but if you want to be ultra safe or take your lead from mansfield district council and all other councils they will not plant out till the second week in june and then they're more or less guaranteed there will no frost they've got to do the bloom awards and all that sort of stuff so they, they don't want to see the flowers that they're putting in be ruined exactly and and they don't want to check on them, which we'll talk about a bit later because any check on a plant holds it back so what, whatever you gain by planting it a bit early you've lost Okay, I'll tell you what, let's start with clematis. Yeah, clematis or clematis. Uh, it is clematis, actually. Uh, the, there's free flowering ones that look great in uh, in containers. But if you choose the right, you need to choose the right cultivar for growing in containers. And then once they're in there, they do look absolutely stunning. And not many people grow these in containers, as I said, but I've seen them and they really are stunning. But they will need cutting back hard in February and they will go on to produce blooms from midsummer to autumn. Fantastic. And at this time of year, the healthy new foliage of certain garden plants can suddenly become tattered. And on close inspection, may reveal many, many small caterpillar-like larvae in a feeding frenzy. They all eating away. On roses, gooseberries, berberis, Solomon's seal are all commonly attacked. To control them, you'll need to use a suitable insecticide. I can't recommend them now because you're moving them off that fast, off the shelf that fast and replacing them. It's very hard to keep pace with them. So when I say a suitable insecticide, you'll have to go to your garden dealer and ask, ask him what's available. Beans. Beans, yeah. If you've not done so already, prepare some ground for sowing French and runner beans. Really are worth going runner beans for the amount of ground they take up and what they produce and they freeze well. So, aim to provide a deep bed that retains plenty of moisture. Beans will grow up a cane-type wigwam. You can use as many canes as you like, but make sure there is six to nine inches between the base of the supports. Sow the seed about three to four inches deep and put a couple of extra in at the end of the row to use as spurs if you get any failures. You can just pull them up and replant them somewhere else. Now then... uh, Box edging. Well, before you go there, yeah. I find it always interesting that um, gardeners always giving away beans, aren't they? Have you noticed that? Because they, they grow so many, that's what it is. They can't eat the beans that they produce. Beans are, are fabulous, but it seems that all of their mates get a big bag of beans. Yeah, and you can't pick them fast enough, and you should do, because the more you pick, the more they'll produce. But once you start going to seed, the plant thinks, I've done my job, and that's it, it starts shutting down and keeping them, them beans that's going to seed going. So you, the more you pick, the more beans you'll get. But another good tip is a lot of people sow the beans in May or June, but make another sowing at the end of July, and they will take you right through to the first frost of winter with green beans, not old ones going to seed, but fresh green beans. So end of July, make another sowing, and you're away again. And that same with the broad beans. People make one sowing of broad beans in May, but make a second one in July, end of July. And they will also take you on to right to the beginning of winter. But remember, with broad beans, when you buy them from shops and markets, they normally pass for best. When you see the bean inside, they're getting old. You need to get them before that, and the only way to do that is grow them yourself. And don't forget, when they're about two or three inches 
long, take the whole lot off and boil them and use them as munch too. In other words, you eat the lot. And then the other ones, let them grow on, but pick them before they get too old. And then you will like them. And this is a problem with a lot of vegetables. People have been eating them when they're old and they don't like broad beans, don't like Brussels sprouts. And because it's either been picked wrong, grown wrong, or like cabbage and Brussels sprouts, they've been cooked to oblivion when they only need a few minutes so they're nice and crunchy. Moving on to box hedging. Now, if you're going to clip this, choose a door day. Uh, clipping during sunny weather can lead to scorched foliage. So a lot of people ask me why it's gone like that. And so when you last cut it, well, it was, you know, what is a hot day? And if it's a red hot day, you're going to get brown leaves. Cut back newly planted box hedge by one third to encourage a bushy growth. But established hedges, cut them lightly, removing just the tips to turn it to the original and permanent outline. And don't forget sharp and blunt shears before starting to cut any edge. And add the clippings to the compost heap in small quantities. A word of warning, if you're going to trim laurel hedges and take the cuttings to the local tip, please make sure they are bagged up and tied very tightly, as bruised and cut leaves release a toxin that can make you very drowsy. And this is bad news if you're in a car with the windows shut. It has been known to make people drowsy when they've been driving and nearly had accidents. Just diversifying on that, that's what the old entomologists used to use in the last century. When you, when you get... Preserve these insects with specimens and they pin them to a board. That's how they killed them. They put them in a jar and in this jar they pour a load of uh, crushed laurel leaves. They put cotton wool on the top. Then they put the butterfly in or whatever and shut the lid. And you see the butterfly flying about then all of a sudden gone. And it killed it without damaging it so it could be used as a specimen. By the way, before you start thinking about trimming hedges, what yeah. should you be thinking about? This is, is very important. It's a big hobby horse of mine. And I'm pleased that the council's adhere to it as well. Before you trim any edge, all think of the birds, blackbirds, thrushes, dunnocks, robins and wrens, all nesting hedges. So it's best to leave trimming till the end of summer. So we don't do it in, through the summer. And then the local council, they leave it till after summer's finished. Or at least leave it till the autumn. Inspect box edging before clipping for signs of activity. Listen for noisy cheeping. You can hear this a mile away in box edging. And this cheep, 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 cheep. And watch your parents flying in with beaks full of grubs. Avoid picking up any fledglings that may have been on, may be on the ground. The parent will be close by and keep an eye on it, but will only attend to that fledgling or its offspring when there is no one around. So, in other words, when we're talking about cutting edges, don't cut them in summer, leave it till autumn or winter. You never see the councils cutting edges in the summer. You see them long and gangly and people phone up, when you cutting this edge? They will not do it for that reason, for birds nesting. You talked a little bit about rogue frosts, didn't you, earlier on when yeah, we started this, oh, about yeah. the two sides of May, like the two sides oh, of Gemini. Yeah, yeah, you're quite right, Ian. Rogue frosts, they've caught a lot of people out because you can get rogue frosts right into June sometimes. We've had snow in June, I've seen snow in June, a good covering of snow. To be very safe and to avoid any late or rogue frost, you take a leaf out of the local council book, as I said, and put tender bedding plants out in the second week of June. However, a lot of plants will recover if they've been exposed to a frost. Potatoes, they can be very blackened leaves, and, and they really look as though they've had it, but the plant will send up new shoots that will bear a crop. Others such as courgettes and runner beans, but it's bad news to them, they will need to be took up and replanted because they will not recover. General maintenance 
in May. As I said, there's two sides to May, as I said, with, uh, it was said at the beginning, Ian, with the frost and with the good weather and what to do and what not to do. But after spring bulbs have finished flowering, they're still building up their reserves to put on a good display next year. So to encourage this, apply a liquid fertiliser as they die down. Now, a lot of people think when they're dying down, that's it, and there's not many people will uh, feed them. But if you apply liquid feed when they're dying down, that all goes to the bulbs to build up a reserve. So next year, when they come up, you'll get a beautiful specimen and it will avoid daffodil blindness. When they grow up, there's no flower on the top, just a stem. Very disappointing when you're waiting for them because at that time of the year when they're showing up like the crocuses, you need all the colour you can get. Forget-me-nots. Now, once the display starts dying down and before too many seeds are released, you have to lift them because otherwise they're a beautiful plant but they can, they can become so invasive if left unchecked, they'll seed all over the place and then they'll get between where, where they're not wanted. And once again, where they're not wanted, they obviously become a weed. Now, supports for herbaceous plants, before they're too tall or for those like peonies, that produce heavy blooms, put the supports in place straight away. Once again, if you leave it and leave it and then you get a bit of wind, they'll just break off and that's another disappointment. Before you put plants outside, they'll need to be hardened off. In other words, a transitional period from the greenhouse to going outside. And that's where we normally use a cold frame to come from the greenhouse to the cold frame then outside. But if you haven't got a cold frame, you can start with putting them outside on the warmest part of the day so you get them all outside when it's nice and warm and build this up to an overnight exposure. Doing this job about 10 to 14 days, a couple of weeks before planting them outdoors permanently, whenever the risk of frost has passed. And this will reduce any check to the growth. And that's what you're trying to do. If you take, if you take them out of warm greenhouse, pull straight out into the garden and they're going to get a chilled at the night, it gets a check to the growth. And this is what we're all on about and beating on about. Once you get that check, it takes some weeks to get, you're not killing them, but it takes some weeks to get over it. And that, any any ground you've, you've gained by planting out early, you've lost it. Some more maintenance on the hardy annuals. Yeah, any direct sowing, you need to thin out, thin any direct sowings of hardy annuals and vegetables such as radishes. This is best done in two or three stages. But don't forget, radish leaves can be eaten. They're a lovely vegetable full of iron. Cut the leaves off if you're thinning them out and get them in your salad bowl. It's be- absolutely beautiful. And they taste nice, and I said they're full of iron. So thin these out as well as your hardy annuals, at fortnightly intervals. And the final spacing should be about four inches for the smaller plants and about eight inches for the tall or spreading plants. And any sowings that need pricking out, do this as soon as they're large enough to handle without, so you don't damage them. I know pricking out's a terrible job because when you, when you do about a thousand plants, you, it sends you, sends you balmy. But you need to do them, keep on top of them before they get too leggy. So when they're large enough to handle prick them out and keep doing them a little bit every day and that way you keep on top of it. It's time to call uh, for the Dutch hoe again, isn't it? Yeah, the Dutch hoe. Hoe your borders regularly to prevent annual and perennial weeds from spreading and seeding themselves. The more you hoe, the better off you are. And don't forget the old adage, hoe when you don't need to hoe and you will never need to hoe. Tell that to Santa. (laughs) (laughs) There are some fantastically scented sweet peas. I mean, these are really, really very popular sweet peas and got their own following and they will attract pollinators such as bees. But these will need training and tying into their supports to encourage them to climb and make good displays. So don't forget, when they're about 8 inches, pinch them out. That stops them shooting straight up. Then the, all, all the side shoots, train them up with your canes or whatever you're training them up, and you'll have this fantastic display. And this, this, this variety of them that smell so sweet, they really, really are a nice plant to grow. Now, we've already mentioned pinching out the leading shoots on plants, such as chrysanthemums and helianthus. This encourages a bushy plant. 
However, if a tall, thin sprays are preferred, they can be left unpinched, perhaps even removing side shoots and a few buds, known as disbudding, and this will encourage larger blooms. And that's how the growers get these big, large blooms on the chrysanthemums and dahlias. What they do is just train one shoot, and they disbud it and just grow one flower head, and all the power goes into that one head and makes a big one, and that's how it's done. Quite easy, really. What about liquid feed? Yeah, liquid feed is, is very, is one of the most important feeds. It gets here quite easily to the roots, and it's easily taken up by the roots. You're not waiting it to break down like you are with pellets and that. So liquid feed, yeah, you contains every two to four weeks, and that process should be continued throughout the summer, including hanging baskets and alpine troughs. And if you can, use collected rainwater or recycled rainwater wherever possible. Bottom plants are showing signs of being root-bound. You can tip out the root balls of unhappy-looking containerized specimens to see if they are indeed pot-bound or if they are suffering from some other uh, problem. So if they're looking a bit tired, you know, and you've been looking after them, just tip them out of the pot. If they are pot-bound, they will need potting on or see if there's any, pot, any uh, pests or diseases at the root system it's a busy month for general maintenance really isn't it i mean you mentioned there uh, pe- yeah. pest and disease watch that's really the next thing you've got to be keeping an eye on really. yeah and, and you're saying it's very busy we're doing a lot in the garden and just a, a word of warning here that we've been lying down over the winter period we've been drinking we've been eating been dark nights we sat in front of the fire and then all of a sudden we sally forth and don't forget, the mussels are all flaccid. And they aren't like, you can't just pick up from where you left off last year. So don't forget, start off with the gentle jobs and build up to the harder jobs. That's a good tip. I thought you were going down the roots of the pests then for a second, because pests, I guess, do the similar thing, don't they? Over the winter months, they're watching the TV and chilling yeah, out. Yeah, and then, and then, and then uh, when it comes to this time of year, they come out in, in force. They come out in force and they can go at it full throttle. They can, they can strip plants in days. And I'm talking about the red lily beetles. Now... With red lily beetles, you can't mistake them. They're little beetles that are bright red. Now, with if you don't want to use chemicals and non-chemical controls, if you've only got a few lilies and fertility areas that are being grown, the plant, the plant should be regularly inspected from late March onwards so that adult beetles and the larvae and eggs can be removed by hand. One lilium is a Defender Ping, is advertised as lily beetle tolerant. I've never grown it, so I don't know. Well, that, that lilium is called Defender Ping, and it's supposed to be lily beetle tolerant. So that's if, non-chemical control, that? That's non-chemical control, yeah. But what if you, you need the chemicals going off? Yeah, here? for extensive infestations, it may be necessary to revert to an insecticide. If you do use these, use them responsibly and never on open flowers, because then the bees come, you know, for uh, to get inside it and then it, it, it just brings about their demise so uh if you're going to use an insecticide you uh, for you could, there's a, a choice of these now and there's still some on the shelves that i know of and that's bayer provado ultimate bug killer there's bug clear ultra there's bayer when i say bayer that's the name of the company that, that produce it bayer spray day green fly killer there's bayer provado ultimate fruit and vegetable bug killer and uh, they all get rid of it. Uh, organic sprays are available, but are only effective on a newly hatched larva and have a limited control on, on, on adults. So plants in flower, as I've said, should not be sprayed to avoid harming bees and other pollinating insects. If you do use chemicals, then use them sensibly. Biological control is another way you can do it. Yeah. 
Now, vine weevil larvae can be a serious pest in containerized plants. We've been talking about yeah, if your plant looks a little bit sickly in a container, tip it out and have a look, and you might find vine weevil there. Now, these can become very active this month. So tip out the root ball of suspect plants and inspect for the creamy... This is what, what they look like. They're a creamy, orange-headed maggot, which tends to curl up into a C-shape. And there are various chemical and biological controls available. Now, a biological control uh, for the larvae is available as a microscopic pathogenic nematode available from suppliers of biological controls. For best results, they will need applying in August or early September when the soil temperature is warm enough for the nematode to be effective and before the vine weevil grubs have grown large enough to cause serious damage. Nematodes can also be applied to garden soil, but often uh, I've used these on the soil and they do give poor results in dry or heavy soils. They work best in an open potting compost, such as those you buy from the, your garden centres, such as peat or koi. Nematodes can be used safely on all edible and ornamental plants. So if you're using nematodes, there's no restriction on any plant you can use them on. And what about chemical control on on vine weevil? Well, ornamental plants grown in containers can be treated with bug clear ultra vine weevil killer or Bayer Provado vine weevil killer. Notice I'm, these are all specific. They all say vine weevil killer uh, and used as a liquid drench applied to the compost. And these insecticides give, pre- give protection against the grubs for up to two and four months. Treatment in mid to late or uh, in mid to late summer will control the young larvae and prevent damage occurring later in the autumn to spring period. Neither product can be used to treat edible plants or ornamental plants growing in open soil. So that's a chemical control for vine weevils. So you've got to be very careful because it seems that you're having to use different sorts of uh, controls for different sorts of um, pests. There is. You're quite right here. There's the different controls. Now, be a little bit wary here because... A lot of the control, if you look at the uh, instruction on the back and the, the contents, you'll find on some they're exactly the same. And a typical one of that is tomato feed. You buy Tomorite and then all the other brands, and if you look on the back, the MPK is virtually the same. So it just pays to look at the contents. But for these, what we've been talking about now, they are different. They're different treatment for vine weevil and a different treatment for, uh, for other pests and diseases. Yeah, like like the beetle that you were talking about yeah, there, the, yeah, the red, red lily beetle. Red, red lily beetle, yeah. What about these little tiny green things, the aphids? Yeah, aphids, they can multiply rapidly during mild spells. It's amazing how they, can, how they can really can. And they are vectors. Uh, you can remove early infestations by hand to prevent the problem getting out of hand. So protect sweet pea plants in particular, as they can get sweet pea viruses from vectors such as aphids. When I say vectors... They pa- that's a, 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 an insect that, or a, a, an aphid that passes on diseases and they, they, they feed off a plant by putting the stylet right into the plant and sucking out the sap. When they go to the next plant, they've still got sap remnants in that stylet and they shove that out first to get the siphoning action going and that's where they pass on diseases. So keep on top of aphids because they, they, they are vectors and they are a big, big problem on sweet peas. Continue to protect lily, delphinium, hostas and other susceptible plants from slugs and snails. And remember the watchword is vigilance. Control them before they get out of control. Yeah, you've got to keep an eye on it during May, uh, the pests in the garden. Yes. So if somebody wants to ask you more about May or any other questions, how do they, uh, yeah, how do they get in touch? Yeah, get in touch through, through my website again, thelazygarden.org. Thank you very much and keep checking back for more podcasts. The Lazy Gardener Podcast. Go well in the garden. Go well in life.